I do think it's amazing that we've managed to grab three white guys and put them on a podcast and none of them went to Franciscan University. Like, I think that's, I think this may be a first in the Catholic internet. And so <laughs> with God, all things are possible. <laughs> My name is Tony Vicenda. I live in Philly, where I work as a missionary, speaker, and I run a small company called Catholic Bomb. My name is Bobby Angel. I'm a teacher, campus minister in California with my wife and crazy children. And even though we do all those things, again, first and foremost, we are sons, husbands, fathers, and brothers. So one of the things Tony and I have been talking about over the last year is how to help men live lives of virtue, follow God's will, and find a brotherhood together. So this year on this podcast, Bearded Virtue, we're building this conversation based around Bobby's amazing new book, Pray, Decide, and Don't Worry, and then following it up with monthly conversations about how we can live virtuous lives. I'm excited to break down the book with you all and get some other special guests on to talk about the process and how you can make a decision with God and and get living. So let's get into it. Hey, Bobby, how's it going? Good, dude. How are you? Doing good. I uh, I like what you got going on in the cabinets behind you there in your garage. It looks nice. The rich woodworking mixed with rat traps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, that, yeah, you know, you don't see that kind of craftsmanship anymore uh, as often, and I, I really just I love it. How is your uh, How's your week been, man? Good. We just got off the last big retreat of the semester. Much more relaxed ministry stuff in the lead up to Thanksgiving. So that my heart is good. My heart's <laughs> feeling good right now, and Advent cometh. But not yet. Not yeah. yet. So yeah. I'm excited. We've got the miracle of modern technology here. We've got three different time zones where a conversation's happening across. We got a guest this week. I'm thrilled. Yeah. So we've got our first guest ever this week. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this amazing individual and why you thought that men should hear about uh, about their bearded virtue and about what uh, about discernment from them? Again, I, I don't know if he's got a beard right now. I know he can he can grow a mighty one when he puts his mind to it. But we've got Dr. Andrew Swafford this week. Dr. Swafford is uh, from Ohio. He is a professor at Benedictine College. He's been involved, uh, getting involved with Ascension, the Ascension Catholic Publishing Company. He's involved with uh, Jeff Cavins on their brand new study with Romans. And he's just a dynamic guy when it comes to ministering to young people, to men, to conveying the gospel in a way that doesn't dumb it down, really brings a richness. Um, he, he's doing awesome things for the church. I'm a little biased too, because he's also a godfather to my son, Johnny. So we're canonically stuck together. But <laughs> uh, Dr. Swafford, I know you're on. Do you want to chime in and just give us a little bit more about you? Yes, canonically linked. So Bobby and Tony, so good to be with you all. Uh, such a pleasure and an honor. I think uh, my biggest claim to fame is probably being the uh, husband of Sarah Swafford, I guess, first and foremost. But uh, yeah, no. So as uh, Bobby said, I hail from the Buckeye State of Ohio. I've been teaching at Benedictine College uh, in Atchison, Kansas for a long time now in the uh, theology department. Uh, and it's just a blessing to be with you all. I have a question. You grew up in o you're from Ohio or you live in Ohio now? No, no, I, I, am, I grew up in Ohio, but I've been living in Kansas for a number of years teaching here. Did you go to Franciscan University? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, uh, I actually went to Benedictine as a student initially. Uh, just to tell you where I was, I grew up four hours uh, from Franciscan, but I had never heard of Franciscan at the time. Uh, I came to Benedictine only to play football. That was the only reason. Kind of had a massive conversion and uh, just gave my life to the Lord. And I had a key professor that was kind of instrumental in, um, in that happening for me. And so I that's just kind of wanted to give back in the same way. And uh, so lo and behold, here I am back uh, dark in the same doorways that I walked uh, many years ago. 
Well, I want to hear a little bit more about your uh, your story, but I do think it's amazing that we've managed to grab three white guys and put them on a podcast, and none of them went to Franciscan University. Like, <laughs> I think that's, I think this may be a first in the Catholic internet. And so, with God, all things are possible. <laughs> So, uh, Dr. Swafford, tell us a little bit more. You said, uh, you know, you had this, you had this moment of transformation. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your journey in the faith and a little bit more about your experience with the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, I mean, just uh, I grew up Catholic, but kind of in name only. And it was just kind of a nominal thing. Uh, not even every Sunday at Mass. I mean, maybe once a month, every couple months. I mean, it, it slightly more than Christmas and Easter. But I, I'd say like a lot of people, I kind of grew up with kind of a vanilla, as you know, Bishop Barron put it, beige Catholicism, just kind of a namby-pamby. And it, it, uh, I'm sure, you know, part of that's on my end, my fault. But um, if it's just about being nice, I mean, Confucius could have taught me that. Plato could have taught me that. Aristotle could have taught me that. What's what's in it with Jesus that's going to make me change my life? And I had never really heard the gospel preached vigorously with confidence and boldness and conviction until I came to Benedict. And, and it was uh, it was Dr. Shri was he taught here for nine years, and he was a you know fairly young professor at the time. And I just was was moved by his convictions, and then met a different group of guys and kind of got involved with Focus, and you know, they had a, a joy and a stability that I didn't have, and. My world went up and down with how my times went, how my weights went, how my playing time went with football. And uh, they had something I didn't have. And eventually that just just won my heart over. Awesome. Well, I'm so just thrilled to have you here with us today. Um, I'm thrilled to hear a little bit more about your stories as we unpack this as Bobby and I share ours also too. This week we are talking on on week four and we've potentially created a paradox. We are recording this before week three, but uh, Bobby and I at least are big enough fans of science fiction that we thought we'd go ahead and risk it. Um, this could be the beginning of an epic drama, uh, but we're recording this episode first. Um, we're talking about sorting this week, about um, once, uh, Bobby, kind of break down the steps that have led us up to this point. Sure. So again, in the the sermon process, which is a, a messy process, it's not always a clear cut. Uh, you go in order of any particular steps, but um, you know the book that myself and my wife, and along with Father Mike Schmitz, wrote uh, details kind of a five step process that you can use if you've got time and you're able to really weigh on something and. First part is, um, again, seek, like, what are you looking for? To be honest with what's going on in your heart, recognizing, of course, your identity first as a son of God, that before any big decision comes, you need to rest in, in who you are and being beloved by God and have that peace. And then you can start examining, like, what what's the other things going on to, to search, like, the inner movements of your heart to look at Ignatian spirituality, perhaps, to help discern the consolation and desolation, the ups and downs you're feeling when you examine certain options. And all that has to be done in prayer. The third step is silence to really quiet yourself and give God to speak. If there's any kind of thing we feel beckoned to, a calling, that assumes we also have to listen. We have to pick up the phone and listen to what the other side is saying. And if it's only a one-sided conversation, it's not a conversation at all. So there's got to be prayer. There's got to be silence here. And so this week is is sort, like sorting out the data that you've been accumulating to inch towards like an actual decision that has to be made. You're not going to be able to stay on the fence forever. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So so as we're kind of diving into that, I want to ask you a question, Bobby. Um, is it like, I know we're going to talk about this a couple times today, but is it possible to discern badly? <sighs> um, yes. I think if you're impulsive, I think if you wait too long, if you, you know, just stay on the fence too long and then nothing ever gets decided. Or if, again, if you're impulsive and you don't think out things out well for you or your family, you can discern poorly. If, if you're in a state of sin and you're not willing to let that go, that can absolutely color. And my own story, like that will color the decisions you make that even if they may be 
good, they're not the best. I'm working my plan, not necessarily God's plan. Now, thanks be to God, he never abandons us. I, I love the analogy of, of a GPS or like the uh, a Waze app that constantly tries to recalibrate and yell at you when you're going the wrong way. And it won't force your car to turn around, but it'll keep changing the map depending on your actions. That's kind of jumping ahead, but I love that kind of metaphor, living metaphor of our free will is operative. We have a say. We, we get to decide things. At the same time, God is always trying to guide with providence the steps ahead and will never say, well, you made a wrong turn. Good luck. Hope you die. It's like, he's like, <laughs> he's like, come on back. Come on back. Or look at this path. Look at this path. And we can say no the whole way. We can say no the whole drive. Or we can relent and say, okay, you probably know how to get there better than I do. So, so we can discern poorly, basically, if we choose to discern poorly, even if we don't know we're necessarily choosing that. So, uh, Dr. Swafford, is there a time that you have uh, discerned poorly in your life? Is there a time where you're like, looking back, you're like, yeah, that may, like, God may have still blessed it, or like, I'm still in an, a wonderful place with the Lord in, in life, but uh, this probably was not the proper way to discern. Yeah, you know, I I, I love the uh, the GPS analogy because it's almost like, um, you know, one thing that was said to me is that it's easier for God to revise our plans if we're actually moving, right, instead of just kind of being mm. paralyzed. Right. Uh, it's easier for God to recalibrate, <laughs> even if it's a, a slightly detour, you know, turn. Um, I, you know, I, I can think of back, especially, uh, and there's lots of times, but in, in college when, and this is kind of maybe a, a superficial uh, kind of immature discernment where it's like, well, if I get this opportunity, then it must be God's will. I'll just throw my hat into these three, four, five, six, seven things. And if it, you know, if it, if I get accepted, then it's God's will. And I had a mentor kind of say, well, not necessarily. You still need to discern this. You can't just be late. And I think what happens for a lot of, I think, especially guys, but I think all of us, uh, we are afraid to make a decision. And so we want to kind of just throw it to what really is kind of a chance or randomness instead of really kind of entering into the mystery of this conversation that Bobby's talking about uh, and, and discerning God's will as a child and stepping out without absolute certainty. And that's okay. And that's part of the process. Yeah. No, I, I like that because the reality is like I used to, whenever I'm talking to high school guys and they find out like a girl likes them and all of a sudden they're attracted to her. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, like exhibit are, A. Yeah. Are you, are you attracted to her because... You legitimately like want the highest end for her and you want to, you want to this and you want to find out like if this is the type of woman you would marry one day. Um, Cause even talking to the high schoolers about dating is always a little bit weird. Or is it just all of a sudden she likes you and you like her. So this is a chance for, for an easy end. Right. Uh, and I know that in my own experience and talking to high school guys, like that's, that's oftentimes, you know, one of the greatest attractors is knowing that somebody else likes you and all of a sudden, there's no risk. You know, if this is the thing that's happening, yes. I don't have to consider, is this the right thing for me all of a sudden? Um, and I think that's there's such a such a reality to that that we do in a lot of things. If you get offered a new job, right? All of a sudden, them wanting you, them wanting you to be there, them wanting you, that, you know, your current job is probably not like, oh, we're so glad you're here. Oh, you made the copies just the way you were supposed to. Uh, you returned all your phone calls in a timely manner. Like, that's not how your current job operates. The job that that's trying to woo you away, though, like they're, they want you. And there's a level at which it's like, oh man, I just want to be wanted. And so this seems easy all of a sudden. And uh, you know, then you start kind of trying to be all things to all people. And I had another mentor later in life say, look, you don't have to wear every hat that someone gives you. Yeah. Like, if someone thinks I'm this, I'm going to be this. Someone thinks I'm that, I'm going to be that. No, no, no. Just be your own man and discern mm -hmm. God's will. 
Yeah. So we've got we've got a couple steps from the book that we want to look at as far as how we kind of dive into this sorting process, how we get all this information out on the table in front of us um, and kind of kind of look at those things. So, uh, Bobby, can you uh, can you kind of walk us through the first of those steps, uh, kind of taking taking small steps? Sure. Um, and a podcast I was listening to yesterday, they, they echoed the same point. A lot of people think, OK, I feel called to take up another career or I hate my job. I want to do something else. And we think we've got to sell the house and move across country and we have to go all in. Hey, and why are you criticizing people who sell their houses and move across the country? Because you're freaks, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my temptation is stability. Yeah, I'm, I'm the... Um, you know, I've discerned long and hard about this. Now I'm going to stay put for 15 years. Kind of like what well, attitude towards it. And sometimes God's like, move, I need you to move. There is a time to go all in. But I think um, there's there's also times to take it slow and say, listen, I don't need to quit my job to explore this other side career I may be interested in. I don't need to propose to the girl on the first date. I can allow the date to be a date. And I'm just going to get to know you. And we're going to see how it goes. I can go and check out the college, perhaps maybe take a summer class or go to different activities before I actually sign the dotted line that I am, mm -hmm. I am a student here. So I think we underestimate, like take small steps in the direction you're interested in to see if it actually is something that pans out, lest you then again, sell everything, make that big move and realize, oh, this actually was, I was just caught up in the emotions of it, or this isn't actually a good thing at all. Yeah, and, and it's one of the reasons that we like talk about early on that Ignatian process for discernment, that that consolation and that desolation. As we're taking those small steps, we can pay attention to the response this is creating in our soul as a sign of what God's plan for us is around this thing. That doesn't mean one moment of desolation is a no, or one moment of consolation is a yes. But consolation can be, hey, move forward. Desolation can be, hey, this may not be it, or this way may not be it. And I think that's such a huge thing to remember kind of as we go through that. This is why we start taking small steps and testing. Like when we were starting to look at our move, one of the first things I did was I just articulated that to people who weren't my wife and I. Like when we were we were pretty sure that God wanted us to move across the country to do missionary work, I told my friends who lived in Philly, who of course were going to be excited about me coming, hey, we're thinking about moving to Philly. And they were like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, okay, so if we move there, like, do you think there's good work for us? Like, do you think this vision that we have mentioned, and I don't want you to just say yes, because you want us to live in Philly. I want you to think about it, pray about it and tell me what the opportunity is for that. I want to, I want specifics so that I know it's not just my idea, right? Or my, Trisha's idea or something we think is a good idea, whether there's actually a fit in the local community, in the local church for this ministry that we're talking about, um, you know, and, and kind of testing some of those things early on, even just in those conversations, was looking for the external feedback that this is that, that consolation that this was a a step, but it was a step out. It was a risk to say, not just internally, not privately, I want to actually articulate this to somebody who can actually tell me if this is a good fit or not. And they may tell me no. You know, they might may, they might say no. What about you guys? Yeah. Well Tony, I think I mean what you're saying is exactly right. I think it's really important to say that because I think you know, you're the subject of discernment and God has a plan for all of us, but we, we always have to measure that against the objective circumstances of our life and the objective vows and duties and given our state in life, because God's not going to contradict himself. So if I've, you know, if I've sworn a vow in marriage or if I'm, uh, you know, received ordination or if I've, all these things are, you know, solemn vows. I mean, there's a sense in which that subject of discernment has to match up with the objective state of my life. And if, if I, if there's a conflict, we really need to kind of subordinate the subjective to the objective and not, um, 
I know, not, not, not assume, well, you know, I know I've been married, honey, to you for 10 years, but I'm, I think I'm really called to marry someone else. No, that, 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 <laughs> no, I'm for real, but this stuff happens, all yeah, the time, yeah. whether it's a priest or whether it's a, and so I think there's a real need to kind of, and I think this Ignatius is right at home with him to match the subjective against the objective to, and I think the danger is on the one hand, we want to keep a kind of a supernatural framework that God has a plan. God speaks to me in prayer. This is absolutely real. And on the other side, we don't want to reduce it to kind of natural prudence. Um, but God does work through all these venues and he's not going to tell me something privately that contradicts what he's given me objectively and publicly. Yeah. And I think for me, the, the difference between coming back always comes back to looking at also the internal experience. There's a big difference between my happiness and God's joy. And there's a big difference between human calm, like none of, none of this is making me nervous and a supernatural sense of peace around the uncertainty of the situation. And, and discerning can be a really hard time to get that peace. So when you're sensing a sense of peace that comes from somewhere outside of you, that comes from God, or comes from inside of you, but is it not is not you like from you? There's not just your own human sense of calm around something. Those are incredible moments to pay attention to what is happening right now that is creating this peace in my heart that is beyond what I could humanly experience. It's one of the best signs of consolation I think you'll ever get. Well, what you said, Tony, too, of uh, it's a it's a communal process. And I think we're kind of, we have a lone ranger mentality, especially in the American, um, the West. It's like, it's all on me. Kind of swaffer what you said of like, I, I've received this thing and I need to go do it. And we don't realize our decisions have such a ripple effect on our loved ones and the community at large. And so there's other areas of the world where these big decisions are much more communal or you bring it before a community of people first, more than just, I've decided it's what I'm doing. See you later. That's really well said. And even a seminarian becoming a priest, I mean, there's, there's a, a sense in which the church is very clear that the, the seminarian is not the final arbiter of whether or not he has a vocation, that right. the, the bishop, has, the church has to embrace this and accept this and, and authenticate it. So Swafford, like you just said, like when I was in the seminary, they told us early on, it's not just you discerning the priesthood. We as the formation team of the seminary are also discerning you. And that was like a gut check because everyone's like, what do you mean? I'm amazing. I would be in a mock retreat. Like, the sense of like, oh, oh, you have a say in this too. Like, you could say this guy is not fit. This guy is not formed yet. This guy is certain issues that are going to make it difficult for him to be a level-headed, well-formed priest. You know, that's, we're not going to put you in charge of the people of God. Like, again, praise be to God for that. But it's also a wake-up call of like, yeah. There's, yeah. uh, it's not just me on my own deciding what's best for me. Which I think is a great transition to to kind of point number two, which is uh, you can't do it all, right, Bobby? Yeah, and I mean, I, what's cool is I think we've already echoed kind of the big points of this chapter. As Swafford, you said, like, you cannot wear all hats. And from an early age, we're told, you can do everything, you can do anything you want. It's like, I may be able to do many things. I cannot do all things. And mm -hmm. especially in our kind of non-committal millennial era this thought of like i am never gonna totally commit so that way i can be open to everything means you've decided to not commit to anything right and right. so i'll have 17 tabs open in my web browser and i'm looking at music you don't have to you don't have to talk about that like it's fine that's fine i have i have five <laughs> right now so this is a quiet day for me it's uh I'm drinking coffee and listening to music and somehow having a conversation with my wife. And I think I'm doing it all well and realizing I'm not doing any of it well. I can't, I'm actually not getting anything done. 
did any of you guys have that friend or any of you guys were that friend in high school who would like show up for five minutes to everything and think they were doing a really good job of touching base with everybody? Because this was really before <laughs> like social media or anything else like that when when I was in high school. Um, and and you'd have those friends who would be like, oh, yeah, let's hang out on Friday night. And they would go come hang out with you between two or three other things. And you were just like, oh, like I thought we were going to hang out. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's buddy and nobody's buddy. Right. That's right. And so. Yeah, I uh, I totally get that. Like that that kind of stretch thin, insane. Like uh, it's one. Like it is one of the reasons that like part of our discernment process and moving here and doing something new was to let other things go, to quit two other jobs in order to make space for for missionary work, to move a lot of the work for Catholic Bombco out of the household um, and to somebody who could do it better than we could, who was a, a, who's been a phenomenal partner. Um, so that basically, like the thing that makes the majority of the income for our house. Uh, I spent about two hours a day working on, and then the rest of the time is given over to family and to taking care of the local ministry work that we're trying to get started here. Because the reality is family was suffering and there was no margin for this thing we felt like God was doing. And so it was saying like, what are we going to let go of? Because I was literally working like three and a half jobs plus like three hobby projects at the same time. And it was insane. It was killing my family. No, that's, that's a great, that's a great example. I, 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 this is slightly different, but I think it's related. Uh, I love to teach on sloth, um, the, the, the Achadia and the tradition, this kind of sorrow, the difficulty of spiritual good, and this kind of sadness that it's kind of a malaise I think affects our culture. And I get students who say, how do I overcome that? And my kind of two responses are discernment and magnanimity. You can't do everything well. So you got to discern what are you going to really go after? And when you figure that out, go after it. And you got to let other mm. things go. That yes to that thing implies a no to other things. Yeah. That's a little depth. That's a little like gut check reality that we have to, I think, shift our paradigm nowadays. The whole like, I can do anything I want. I can I can have all my options open forever. It's like, no, there's there are doors that close. There are times in your life where, again, parenthood, I don't have the time and energy I used to have as a single person to pour into these things. So I have to choose fewer things and do them well. And that's, I'm happy when I'm spinning like seven different plates at work. There's a point where it gets too much. And there's that absolutely that point of like, I'm missing stuff in emails, or I misplaced a student's paper or like, <laughs> because I'm not giving it my all in attention. Now that student may be happy, he gets an automatic A. But, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd I'd always be like, oh no, I totally turned that in, Mr. <laughs> Angel. Like, yeah, that was uh, that was. You just must have lost that one again. Like, I don't know why it's always my paper. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you can't oh, lie to an angel, though, right? That's true. Oh, that's oh, true. Oh, your paper caught on fire. I really don't. But. <laughs> <laughs> um. So so this kind of brings us back to we're talking about taking small steps, right? You can't do it all. And, and again, I think I think out of anything, if you're if you're tracking through this process, you still don't know like what your major decision is. You still don't have like this big thing in your life. Creating that space and creating that margin um, will let you create more more silence in your life, which will let God speak into your heart. I love that Bobby at the beginning of this episode named like the ordering of this process doesn't always come in one, two, three, four, five. Right. If we're here on week four and you're like, I still don't know what I'm supposed to be discerning. Just starting by saying, like, I can't do it all. I am stretched too thin. What are the things I need to get rid of to make space and kind of to backtrack into that? What is the question of my heart process? I think can be such a huge, huge part of that. So knowing that you can't do it all, I think is such a huge piece. So let's touch back on, you know, can I make the wrong choice? We went on about that a little bit at the beginning, uh, but I want to come back to it because I think this is the number 
one thing that creates um, uh, anxiety, that creates what you talk about in the book as um, analysis paralysis, which in I'm a, I'm a huge board game player and sitting there and when it's somebody else's turn, watching them try to make all the decisions on their turn is an absolute nightmare watching somebody who's has entered into that process of not being able to make a decision so that no one else's life can move forward is the the best example i have of what happens when people get caught in this kind of anxiety around can i make the right choice or can i make the wrong choice or will i make the wrong choice or what happens if i do um talk a little bit more about that bobby yeah this was probably my biggest hurdle in my own discernment of considering the priesthood in college of this whole, if I make the wrong choice, am I going to be miserable? Which led to me delaying examining the seminary and then entering the seminary. But I'm like the GPS example. It hurts my head to think about like, if I entered right away, I would have missed certain workshop opportunities that would have led me to go to Pennsylvania, which would have led me to go to these theology of the body retreats, which would have led me to meet Jackie, which would, so like God worked in my trying to stall, trying to avoid him, to still work out what he needed to do. Um, I think there, and I want, I want Swafford to chime in on this too, like, I think there's times where you can, you can miss the boat, where you, by our own sin, by our own stubbornness, or our own not even listening to God, you know, when, when guys are 50 or 60, and they're like, oh, I should have been a priest, and they really mean it, like, they really feel this regret of, like, I was never open to this thing or whatever opportunity come and goes, or there's a hobby that they want to would love to turn into a career, but they're too afraid to ever put into action. I think we can miss the boat. But I think God is always giving us these pokes and these like, tugs on the heart, if not like, these kind of crises moments, like wake up calls to like, shake us out of complacency. I would say let's not fall to a cage of fear, and thinking God is going to punish us, God's out to like, get us if we don't listen to him. Because that just locks us deeper into the fear. But to the point again, to to like you said, revisit step one. You are seen and known by God. Live in that freedom, and you're not going to make the wrong choice if you are doing that. Andrew, what do you think? Well, Bobby, I just think this is where, if I could just praise your book. I mean, this and all these other places, this kind of practical steps and tools to kind of walk people through it is going to help so many people. It already is helping so many people. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I have a Dominican friend. I asked him a while ago, I said, what advice do you have for our students in discernment? And he said, please, please tell them to think of their vocation not as a problem to be solved, mm. but a gift to be received. So on the one hand, yes, God has a plan for us. Yes, God, God knows his plan for our lives. But we're not going to discern that by jumping inside God's mind, right? So that's going to be unfolded and unveiled to us through our desires, through our prayer, all these different things. So I think even to ask the basic question, what do I want? What do I want? Right. And, and to keep, in other words, God has a plan, but we're not, it's going to come to us in different ways than kind of seeing it from his point of view. I think the biggest, you know, can we make a mistake? I mean, I think at the end of the day, if we're not discerning, if we're steeped in sin, if we're not praying, well, yeah, that should make us nervous. But if we sincerely want to know God's will, and we sincerely open the door to listen and to listen to his voice, we have to just trust that God will write straight with our crooked lines. He will bless us. And, and I'd say for the the uh, people you mentioned, Bobby, that, you know, say 50, 60, 70, and they kind of look back with regret, I think fundamentally, and I, I would pray that our, our hearers take this to heart, um, don't look back because it's easy to look back and, and kind of attribute your decisions to various sociological pressures or this or that, or that person was in my ear. You got to trust that God We'll write straight through crooked lines. 
And at the end of the day, we have to trust the objective vows that we've taken and the like, and, and not, uh, I just think it's, it's the, what if the looking back, I think that's the devil's playground. I absolutely do. And regardless of, let's say hypothetically, that is right. God will still bless the vocation that we're in. And it's the devil that wants us to look back. It's the devil that wants us to make us think the vocational grass is greener on the other side. Um, so I, I think to just relax, run to Jesus, pray, and, and then just leap like a child. I mean, it, I know it's easy easy for me to say on this side of things, I suppose. But I really think Bobby's right. Can we miss things? Sure, uh, I suppose. But there's no reason to think that God is not going to bless the alternative path, that God is not going to weave his way through this whole thing. God's providence, it's not fatalistic. It's not like God's playing divine Nintendo. Think of the Joseph narrative, you know, uh, that God allowed these things that many mm-hmm. saved. So, I mean, this is what hope's about, that, that ultimately I'm not made for this life. There's, I have a greater end than this. And despite appearances to the contrary, God is always at work. And he's at work even in our own sin, even in our own misjudgments. He doesn't cause the sin, but he can still, this is all part of our story. It's all part of the story and he will weave it. So I, I really think we just need to let go and turn to him as our father. And it's, it's easy for me to say, I suppose, on this side of things, but it's a gift to be received. Just run to Jesus. Are you trying to run to Jesus? If you are, sincerely, wholeheartedly, be not afraid. Yeah. And we see this even from the Old Testament, like as Moses is wondering about whether this is truly God speaking to him, whether these are truly the right decisions as he's leading the Israelites, he basically asks God, how can I know this is you, Right. Uh, and God's response is, you will do it, you will worship me, and you will know that I am God. Right? Yeah. Like after a decision, the ability to just say, you know, look, when you're done making your choice, can you go put it in front of God and just say like, God, I love you and you love me and I worship you and I thank you for this this circumstance that you've placed in my life and this place that you have brought me to. Whether you love it, whether you like it, whether it was this choice, whether it was that choice, if you're able to come before him and do that, and know his presence, right? You can be affirmed in the fact that you made a choice that glorified and brought you closer to him. And so I think in a lot of ways, it's easier to focus on that end of thing. Like if, if you're thinking about running a race, you always run around, you know, 10 yards beyond where the where the finish line is. That's That's the 10 yards beyond the finish line. I'm going to go and worship God when all of this is done, like, and sit in front of him and know that if nothing else, I'm still his son. I'm still his beloved. He still cares for me. And I think that's so huge and such a consolation um, that has nothing to do with just our discernment process. It's the certainty that we have. Absolutely. And uh, knowing that. And to, so that is just so well, if I could just, that's just so well said. I just think we're all Cartesians at heart. We don't even know it. I mean, when you start asking these things in a second order way, how do I know that I know that I know? And right. then you just paralyze yourself. Just trust that you know and run to Jesus. Yeah. So let's uh, let's transition. Let's talk about our saint of the week. This one was a little bit more challenging. I'm going to be honest. I just started by like Googling like, patron saint of organization, right? And so like, thanks for St. Martha came up. Um, Maximilian Kolbe was really tempting because he just did a, an amazing job of organizing things in a way that made them fruitful. He certainly had a charism of administration, was certainly a, a leader. Um, like, I love Maximilian Kolbe. What? And a, and a beard. He had a great beard most of the time. Um, but I didn't pick him. Uh, Joan of Arc also came up, like the concept of the military ordering of forces uh, had some really strong attraction, but somebody recommended this, uh, this obscure, and I actually think they're an Orthodox saint, but I'm going to let them in anyways, because they do have a great beard. Uh, and I love the story of their life. And it's St. Theophil. Um, and that could be spelled F-E-O-F-I-L or T-H-E-O-P-H-I-L. If you're going to go with the more Greek way to spell it, St. Theophil of the Kiev Caves. It's a, it's a group of monks that all lived in these caves together. Um, he actually, from a young age, was unwanted, uh, had a sense of being unloved. Uh, his mom actually tried to have her maidservant 
kill him by throwing him in the river, river numerous times. Every single time she threw him in the river, he would float back up to the top, float across, and crawl out on dry land on the other side. Uh, so his mom, upset, tried to throw him underneath the uh, the miller's water wheel, um, and the entire water wheel cranked to a stop because there was a whirlpool that stopped it. So God's God's protection from this from the legend of this saint was on him um, from a very young age. But his parents wanted to get rid of him as soon as possible. Um, gave him to the monastery, and he was known for being this weird, kind of foolish, out of the ordinary person, like many holy people are. Um, uh, he's one of the people for whom the term "a fool for Christ" is a very applicable sense. Uh, but one of the reasons I picked him, and one of the reasons I thought he was so helpful, as we start to get this information in front of us, right? As we start to sort through this information, lots of times we're going to put that in a pros and cons list and not look for divine patterns of influence in that information. Like, what is God saying about this? Because if we go to pros and cons list, we're going to default to our own human knowledge. So St. Theophil, the, the story of his that stood out to me the most was that he was not highly organized, um, but he had a, he had an incredibly messy cell out of all the monks, but he was known when people would come to visit him to ask him for insight, to bring items out of his cell that were prophetic significance to that individual. So I think for me, the, the attraction was, it's not always about just, it's not about that pros and cons list. It's not about our human ability to reason through the information that's important. We don't want to abandon that. God is saying something to us through that. He's given us that reason and that intellect for a reason. Um, but the ability to say, what is the one thing and all the information I have in front of me where God speaks the most clearly, that has the most prophetic reality in my life? What's the story around what I'm trying to discern right now or that piece of information that keeps on standing out to me as something that I can't shake from my intellect? And so for me, St. Theophil is somebody who was able to take something, like bring something out of the cave of specific significance. Like, I think it's a great saint to be saying, like, in this discernment process, in this dark time, God brings something out of the cave of my life that has significance that shows me your will. I think that prayer and that intercession could be a really powerful process. So St. Theophil of the Key of Caves is our uh, our saint from the week. And I, you guys had not heard of St. Theophil before? No, I had not. Uh, I had I had never heard of him before either. Bob, so, Bobby knew all about him, though. Yeah, well, that, Bobby's a pro. That's a potential baby name. So, <laughs> so um, we're going to be right back after this word from our sponsors with this week's three practical tips on how to live out this stage of discernment in your own life. So I want to thank Ascension Press especially for being one of our sponsors and partners for this year's Nazarite Challenge. Uh, remember, you can actually get a discount on the copy of the book that we are talking about, Pray, Decide, and Don't Worry, written by Bobby Jackie and Father Mike Schmitz. Um, you can get a discount on that by using the code NOSHAVE. Um, it's, it's, there's a link down in the show notes, but I also want to talk to you about the Great Adventure Bible. Now, when I was teaching RCIA at a parish, one of the things that a lot of the candidates I was working with, and a lot of them were people who had been going to a Catholic church for a while or who grew up Catholic and had gotten some formation, and some of them were coming into the church fresh, something they all struggled with was understanding the overall narrative, the kind of the sweeping big picture of scripture. And every time we went to go break this down, whether it was an RCIA, adult formation classes with people, they always struggled to see how the different parts of the Bible fit together. And that's one of the things that I love about the Great Adventure Bible and all the Great Adventure resources by Jeff Cavins and Ascension Press. I've been using them forever. And when the Great Adventure Bible came out, I was incredibly excited to just dive into it. Now, I have my Bible that I've used forever, that I'm emotionally connected to, that has the Great Adventure tabs in it. But the Great Adventure Bible took all of the things that I love about the tabs, other resources, Jeff Cavins and Dr. Mary Healy and other people at 
Ascension Press and with that project had done. And it took them on. It built a Bible based on the things that help Catholics engage scripture and the way that they're supposed to and, and really get the most out of the story of scripture. It teaches how everything in the Bible ties together. It gets rid of the complexity of reading the Bible without diminishing any of the deep, rich beauty of what scripture is. And it's the only Bible that incorporates all of the things um, from Jeff Caven's revolutionary Bible timeline learning system, which is like color-coded for easy references, uh, detailed charts, full maps, full colors, key event callouts, and articles that help you understanding, again, that overarching story important covenants and how the other supporting books fit into each of those. In addition to the discount code for the Nazarite challenge, uh, no shave for that book from Bobby. If you're going to go ahead and get on there and get that book, I'd encourage you to check out the Great Adventure Bible and use the discount code Bible15 for a very, very rare, like very not very oftenly given out discount of 15% and use the discount code Bible 15. So it's no shave for the discount on Bobby's book and Bible 15 for a discount on the Bible. If you don't have a good Catholic Bible, you need to have one right now. When I buy a Bible for someone, uh, my backup Bible, my secondary Bible, because sometimes I can't find my my favorite prized uh, Bible because I was traveling and it's in luggage and I, I back at home and haven't unpacked yet, is the Great Adventure Bible. And I really want to encourage you guys to go out there. And if you don't have one, because ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ and Ascension Press and Jeff Caven's Adventure Bible have made it incredibly easy for you to dive into the adventure of scripture in the adventure of your own life. Uh, thank you again to Ascension and to all of our sponsors for their great support of this podcast and all just the amazing things to do. I know every uh, man's life here has been touched by uh, Ascension in some way, shape, or form, uh, whether it's work they've gotten to do for them, resources that have equipped a parish or a conversation. Um, they're a great partner to have with and we're so thrilled to have them. So we're going to hit our three tips for living it out. These are just practical ways that you can take action, small steps, if you will, on how to do that. So Bobby, let's start with you. Um, sure. My my tip would be to make a small step, finish whatever project you need to in the yard or invest in that thing you've delayed doing or you know you don't need to, again, go 100% in. You're going to make a small step just to see if you like the thing, if it actually gives you life, if you enjoy the work instead of, you know, to get it out of your head and into your hands in action. Do that thing you've been putting off and do it single-mindedly, which is super difficult. Like be in the moment with the thing. As um, the prophet Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec said, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. Awesome. So my practical tip for this week is just fast one day this week. And I want to talk specifically about what I think that fasting could look like or should look like uh, because Catholics don't understand fasting overall. Uh, but discernment's oftentimes about uh, cutting out uh, what's essential. I think Jackie actually talks about this a little bit in the book, um, the concept of deciding being being cutting out. Uh, but cutting out, figuring out what to cut out in your life is really hard. So letting go of a good like food uh, that's also a necessity helps give us fortitude and clarity on how to actually cut out things we don't need in our life. And I think that's really helpful. I think fasting is a master practice. We'll probably mention it over and over again uh, on this podcast just because it's so important to actually help create clarity. It's such a good spiritual practice. Here's the thing. The concept of um, fasting, meaning that you should have uh, two small meals that together don't equal the same size as a large meal is kind of accurate. It's accurate if you're doing long-term fasting day in, day out for an extended period of time. It, however, has become the norm 
in Catholic circles that any time you are fasting, that is the type of fasting you are doing. And that is what everybody else in the world just calls eating a normal meal for the day. Like that's what everybody else besides America and, and a couple other countries just say, yeah, that's how you eat. You have two small meals that about are about the size of your third meal at some point during the day. And so for us, that's fasting. Um, here's what I'd like you to challenge yourself to have water and really drink whatever you want for the day. Like don't get drunk because you've, you've got, you know, like nothing in your stomach, but uh, take some time and say, look, if I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat, you know, one small nutritional meal. Maybe it's a salad. Um, that's less than 600 calories total, right? That's how I fast a couple times a week. And that's not why I think it's the best way to do it. There's some dietary reasons for that also. But if you can't make it through a day without eating, have one small ultra healthy meal that's 600 calories or less, or just go the whole day without food. It's not going to kill you. The next day you're going to wake up. You're actually not going to be as hungry as you think you are. And you're going to have a lot of clarity around, hey, look, I, actually, I don't have to have food. Now, if you've got a medical reason to do fasting a different way, please follow your doctor's advice. Anytime you're doing fasting, your own medical reality supersede that. But challenge yourself. Do something more than just the two small meals equaling, equaling another meal. Dr. Swafford, I know we had uh, prepped you for this. Hit us with your uh, practical takeaway. Well, I, uh, these are all great things. Just two quick things. The very first thing Bobby said at the beginning of the show, the, the kind of uh, prayer, mental prayer, if you could uh, commit to at, at least 10 minutes, uh, maybe if you could push up to 20, 20, 30, uh, where you're just, especially if you, before the Blessed Sacrament, if you can, but just that quiet prayer where you're not talking, you're just listening. I think that gives you great confidence in discernment. The other thing that's helped me over the years is, is to pay attention to the recurring thought. So if I'm discerning something, sometimes you get excited about one thing, but does it have staying power? What do you keep coming back to, that's been an effective way to, for me to kind of gauge where the Lord has taken me. So those are our three tips. Make a small step out. What's that thing you've been putting off? Take that small step in fast one day this week so that you can learn how to kind of cut things out of your life and create space. And then spend at least 10 minutes, but try to push it up to 20 or 30 before the Blessed Sacrament, just listening and focusing to what are the recurring thoughts that are coming up. Um, so Bobby, what are we talking about next time? It's going to be our last session out of these five sessions. Uh, what are we talking about next week? Can we just keep uh, like podcasting? Because it makes me sad. This will be ending. Well, we're going to keep podcasting, but we won't be podcasting every week um, starting starting next week. So we will have more content. We'll have more content coming out in December. Bobby and I will start planning that probably in the later half of this month. But yes, absolutely. We're going to we're going to keep on going. Uh, even if it's not every week. Okay, that was I was getting sad. The next week's topic is going to be deciding, actually stepping out of your front door, which is the scariest thing to actually put into action whatever it is you have been wondering about, whether to go in with this relationship, go all in with the school or a career change or project or second career, actually stepping forth. Uh, that's going to be the topic, and we will hopefully get Father Mike Schmitz on the show for a conversation. Yeah, and um, so, so pray for that. Pray that we get Father Mike Schmitz on. By the time you hear this, we'll already know whether we got him on or not, but you don't know, and and God exists outside of time. So go ahead and pray for that anyways. Uh, uh, Dr. Swafford, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you for being our first ever special guest as far as our recording timeline goes. It was such an honor to have you on. Uh, where can people find you online? Well, I'm on uh, Twitter at Andrew uh, underscore Swafford, uh, or you can find me at uh, my email is aswafford at benedictin.edu, aswafford at benedictin.edu. Uh, Tony, Bobby, it's such a blessing to be with you all, and, and the church is absolutely blessed by all your ministries and all that you're doing, so thank you so much. Awesome. And then, Bobby, where can people find you? You can't find me. <laughs> I will find you. 
Uh, no, we have a website, jackieandbobby.com. And then I'm probably most active on Instagram, actually. So it's bobby.angel. And um, you can direct message me and I try to check it regularly. And we're on the YouTube with videos once a week. Um, and yeah, I just want to echo just the gratitude of being able to do ministry with such quality men. I think it's not seen much in the church, but it exists. And I think more, we need, we just need to see it more because men imitate what they see. And if all they see are idiots, that's kind of the road they go down. But if they actually see, you know, healthy bearded men going all in for Christ and whatever gifts and talents they have to bring to the table, I just, it's an honor to be in the vineyard with you guys. And again, you can find me uh, at Tony Vicinda on most things. Do me a favor. If you have uh, any feedback on the show, any sort of input, anything that you would want us to know, some feedback about what God's doing in your life through this discernment process or through this conversation, uh, drop me an email at Tony at CatholicBalm.co. That's Tony at CatholicBalm.co. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to be able to share your feedback uh, online, especially as we're going into this last week of our conversation. If there's any way that this has blessed you, uh, we'd love to be able to share that with listeners. Again, we want to thank our sponsors at Ascension Press, Catholic Balm Co., our spiritual support from the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit, uh, and of course, the team over at Project YM for helping make the Nazarite Challenge a reality. And so until next time, gentlemen, stop shaving and start praying. Hey, someone! Olin, Micah, Elijah! Can you bring me the charger cord, please, quickly? It's right there by the table. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's got to be on the final cut. I love it. Yeah, please. <laughs>